When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Kickoff is the nothing personal word of the day. Today is September 8th, 2022. It's the day that so many of you have been waiting for since the Rams won the Super Bowl. It what seems like eons ago, but it was only February. It's already, it's only September. Seven months you've lasted without football and it's back. And kickoff I use as the word because it makes me laugh that we get excited for a season and the first play of the season, right? When you get to baseball, there's something, the first pitch, right? The pitcher, and something good can happen. It could be a leadoff home run. Someone could get hit by a pitch. Could be just a strike or a ball, but something's happening. In the NBA, there's a jump ball, and then play starts, and someone's got the ball on offense. Hockey, you drop the puck. That's amazing. Someone's got the puck, and they're rolling toward the offensive side of the of the rink in football they start with the kickoff and and then it's a commercial because it's a touchback i was ranking in my mind the worst rules in in all sports the worst plays in all sports and i believe that kickoffs in the nfl may be the least exciting play in all of sports make it so you have to like a touchback, if you kick it into the end zone, I think it should be that the other team gets the ball, not on the 25 or the 35. They get it in opposing team's territory, like on the 49. Like you can't kick it out of the end zone. But the NFL is so worried, oh God, we can't have contact. We don't want people running full speed down. I always think of Steve Tasker. Is that his name? Coca, the old Bills special teams guy. He was a wide receiver too. I think always a hard hitter, special teams guy. There are all these, there used to be, yeah, he's a special teams player. It was special running at a thousand miles an hour and then cracking someone in the head. I guess they're trying to avoid that. But there will be a kickoff and it's going to be tonight. And the NFL and its business is going to look a little different this year. You know the NFL is starting to stream games. Not tonight, don't worry. Your Thursday night game between the defending champion Rams and the potential champion Bills. I, by the way, thought it was the Chiefs. I said that wrong yesterday. Thank you for the correction to the listeners. It's the Rams against the Bills. Great games on NBC, Peacock, etc. Amazon doesn't start its exclusive window till next week. So everyone gets to start 
watching the season tonight. The start of football season was always, for me, a terrible time of year because it's when if your baseball team is out of the race and your city has a football team, once football season starts, your team is just forgotten. They don't get the same column inches they used to get. They don't get the same placement on the internet, on the on the website of the local papers. The national attention to baseball goes down from now until October, maybe the end of September with some good pennant races or some good playoff races. But the NFL takes over. The fantasy part of NFL is a fascinating part. Patrick Mahomes yesterday made a comment about fantasy, and it got me thinking how wrong I've been about the impact of fantasy on the money that goes into the NFL, on the valuation of the NFL franchises, and on the awareness that players have of fantasy. It's not too long ago that you could go to a player and ask them about their ranking or ask them about anything fantasy related and they would say, listen, I'm all about what happens on the field. I've had the conversations with players in multiple sports, by the way. It never would have occurred to anyone 10 years ago like a Kevin Durant to say, I'm a 96, not a 99, that's outrageous. Or for an NFL player to say, oh, you've got me ranked here when it should be here. Where was I drafted? It was not a subject of conversation and fantasy has become so big and the NFL has done such a good job of taking advantage of it that they've got the face of football arguably the face of football Patrick Mahomes saying yeah I'm just not sure I'm gonna spread it out I'm not gonna I don't know who you should take on fantasy with my wide receivers there's entire shows now on CBS on all of the platforms just fantasy like top five minutes all these different guys are telling you who to play when to play it's insanity to me but the sponsorship is there the dollars are there the broadcast revenue is there so Roger Goodell starts this season by saying to himself we've made it through the rain we got through the DW situation he's playing for Cleveland he's going to get booed we're going to be fine we have no one currently under arrest or pending any sort of criminal activity for the moment. We've got a few things that were, that could be some hot spots. It's like when you're running, you get a little hot spot and you quickly put some blister stuff on it to make sure you don't get a blister. That's how Roger Goodell looks at some of the things that are going on in the NFL. There's some hot spots, but we're good. Thank God we've got the games for the distraction. And this is when all the prognosticators come out of the woodwork and all of the articles get written. Who's going to win? Who's going to win, how they're going to win, who's going to be the surprise, who's going to be the disappointment. And I'm thinking about the show today, and I was saying, crikeys, I've got to do it. Why? Why do you come to Nothing Personal? Why on Nothing Personal do I have to do a segment where I tell you that the Bills are going to beat the Packers in the Super Bowl? Why is that? Because I have to book a a wait to see? All right, you win. I'll do it. Wait to see is telling you something's gonna happen. When it happens, I'll revisit it. When it doesn't happen, I'll revisit it. I've got a few NFL wait to sees already in the book, like over-unders for like the Giants, something like that. 
but I'm going to tell you that I've got the Bills beating the Packers. And everyone's got the Bills. They're the favorite. But when you look at the teams as we've done, talk about the teams as we've done with Coke and various other people, the Bills are just good. But I'm from an era when the Bills were always so good, but they couldn't win the big one. Four in a row. But this is the year. Josh Allen, for me, is the top quarterback in football. All the people in on Tom Brady, you are going to be extremely disappointed. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will likely be the biggest disappointment in the NFL this year. They are not, not going to compete for a Super Bowl. Wait, that's two negatives. That means they are. They are not. I meant to emphasize the not, right? They are not, not. But the grammarians out there, the grammar police will say, I just said they are going to compete, but they're not. So why is it that the favorites never win in football? Like I was trying to think, and and Coca gave me the stat, that it barely ever happens that the preseason favorite wins the Super Bowl. I think the Patriots were preseason favorites in 16 and 18, and they won. The Niners, I'm sure, were preseason favorites. Coca told me, and I remember back in the late 80s with Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, et cetera, and they won. But it really doesn't happen too often. My view is it is so random, like the World Series, Winning the World Series takes a lucky October. It's not often that the best team in baseball wins the World Series because you have to be really good to get to the playoffs in baseball, unless you play in the AL Central, of course. And then you have to get a ton of breaks to make it through October and have somebody in the bullpen get hot, a starting pitcher get hot, and a bat get hot. Football, when it's a one and done, it's subject to such randomness. I was thinking about the Bills last year. Was it last year when they lost the coin flip and were ousted by the Chiefs and never got to touch the ball and I thought the rules would change and they didn't change enough? Coco, was that just last year or prior? I can't remember. I think it was just this January. And so the the thing about it is when that is a a real thing, that is correct. Thank you, Coco. When that's a real situation, then it makes it hard for a favorite to run the table. All of that said, I got to choose someone. Who's got the most pressure? That's, I like that. You get lists on the hot seat. Who's on the hot seat? Can you imagine starting a season on the hot seat? It's completely preposterous. Owners do that. We would sit around during spring training and say, and we'd go team by team and say, if they don't get off to this start, if they're not winning the division by this time, if we're not doing this by that time, we're going to sack our manager. And that's what happens. You get the preseason hot seat pick. And Mike McCarthy is on the top of everybody's hot seat list. And to me, Jerry Jones, the GM, should be on the top of the hot seat list. But when you're the owner, you don't need to have your GM on the hot seat list because you're never firing your GM, which totally sucks if you're a coach because then the coach has to get fired. At least if there's a different coach and a different GM and a different owner, the coach could try to go over the GM's head, convince the owner, hey, listen, you can't win the Kentucky Derby with a donkey. Get rid of the GM. I'm getting crappy players. What do you expect me to do? But it's not like Mike McCarthy can ever complain about his players, right? He just can't. What do you do? Hey, Jerry, man, I'm telling you, your GM totally stinks. All right, thank you so much for that, Mike. You're sacked. The Cowboys are not going to be good. I just, I, I can't, I can't imagine a scenario where Jerry Jones, the GM, and Dak Prescott, the quarterback, find a way to win the NFC East. I think they're going to be quite a disappointing team. It's going to be interesting to watch. A lot of eyes are on the Dolphins as well. A lot of eyes are on the Cleveland Browns. 
and what's going to happen with DW. I believe that everyone in football, including every sponsor, is hoping for a 2-15 and 15 season. Every last one of them. Every owner, every player, and everybody not located in Cleveland is hoping for 2-15. and 15. Add me to the list. If they win one game, it's too many. Totally would serve them right. But the story of the year is going to be whether or not the NFL can make it through an entire season without personnel issues, without any sort of blight on their resume, personal conduct, drugs, violence. And yet, any league that says that that's the number one issue heading into it and is still the number one league in terms of revenue here in the United States of America, it just means they've got such a big lead over the other leagues, doesn't it? That's the criteria. Makes no sense to me. All right, well, let's watch to see if the Bills win, and it starts tonight. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go to the pick of the day and tell you that I've got the Bills beating the Rams. The Bills are favored by two and a half, and I'm starting their season. It's always dicey when a team is a Super Bowl defending champion or a World Series or NBA champion, and they're getting their rings, and everything's all exciting. They're getting the banner. It can actually work against I was at the heat game one year when the heat got their rings after a championship with LeBron and they got their butts kicked in the first game when they had all this excitement about the rings they just were a little distracted I think football is different in that there'll be a distraction but they're just playing a better team and when you've got a better team whether they're home or on the road and you're given two and a half I'm taking the better team I think that's a general rule. If you can pick winners, you're generally going to do well against the spread. Just try to pick winners. But as you know from your survival pool, it's hard. Survivor pool, it's hard. So we're going Bills two and a half over the Rams. By the way, sorry about saying it was the Chiefs. I was wrong. I'm going to do a double pick because I want to bring your attention to baseball right now. The Marlins have lost nine games in a row, and they've got the potential Cy Young winner going tonight in Alcantara. And if you haven't watched him pitch, you're not going to watch him tonight because you've got football, and I get it. But that said, try to just watch him. In an otherwise unwatchable team, in an unwatchable, forgettable season for a team that stinks, I know what it's like to have a good pitcher on a bad team. Remember, we had Jose in 2013. We lose every game. And guess what? We... uh. We would win when he was on the mound and people would love it. So what you can do is you can start watching Sandy at, for the first hour, like the first three innings, unless you're watching pregame. Are you the type who sits there and watches hours of NFL pregame? Who to play, who's playing, all the stuff. I get it. But you can watch the Marlins for an hour and then football starts at 8 o'clock. So that is my double pick. We are 20 games over. Did you watch the Cardinal game last night? Teams were 0-817 down by four going into the bottom of the ninth. Did you like our chances? The Cardinals scored five and walked them off. Now teams are 1-817, and we are 20 games over. 98-78, and 78. you've got two picks today. Marlins over Phillies and Bills over the Rams. It is time for some football. Are you ready? Le- yesterday I was watching a movie 
and I we had finished recording Nothing Personal. And what I do every day after we're done recording is I take the blazer off, but I keep the IFB connected. If you're watching this on YouTube at Nothing Personal with David Sampson, hit subscribe and watch. So the thing in my ear where Koki yells at me all the time, that is connected to the jacket. So I keep it connected, take the blazer off. Then I take the shirt off. I carefully place the blazer and the shirt in the folded position on the glove chair. Then I've still got the gym shorts on. I'm actually wearing Marlin shorts because I am. And I then put in winter a sweatshirt, in summer a tank top, and in fall a t-shirt. I put it on, I go and watch a movie to get ready for the next day. But I keep the blazer and shirt hooked in just in case. Then the text comes, the phone rings, breaking news, you gotta be on the air within minutes. If you're on a phone call, whatever, you're FaceTiming someone, whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter. When time comes, you gotta go come back up here, get dressed. What happened? Max Scherzer's going on the injured list. Yeah, breaking news for that. The minute he was pulled from the game, he was going on the injured list. How many times do I have to say it? Last time, I won't do it again. When a pitcher gets removed for any sort of problem other than a hangnail, they're gonna miss a start. And the reason they're going to miss a start is it's too damn risky to bring a pitcher back, especially one you've got signed, especially one you're counting on to help get you to a World Series and get you a ring for the first time since 1986. Of course he's going to miss a start. But one start? Very rare. Very rare. That's why most pitchers are put on the IL. So Max Scherzer's put on the IL. He's got some stiffness. Remember what he said when he came out? It didn't feel perfect when he came out in the sixth inning, so he left. And he wants to nip it in the bud. This is a guy who missed two months with an oblique strain this year. That's like Jacob DeGrom not coming out of a game when he feels a little something-something. Of course he does, because his body always feels a little something-something. And I got on the air in the same blazer and shirt, and I said, listen, no one's going to feel good this time of year. Buck Showalter said he wants to keep Max Scherzer down until he feels perfect. No player can feel perfect in September of a baseball season. Not one. I've asked hundreds of players over decades. It doesn't happen. Not one guy says, ooh, I'm fresh as a daisy. They're so tired and so hurting because there's so many games that it doesn't matter. But Scherzer's on the IL, will miss 15 days, he'll come back. Can the Mets hold off the Braves? They went into yesterday's game tied with the Braves for first place. Then the Mets swept the Pirates, and all the Mets fans are saying, hip, hip, hooray, we're back. We can score runs again. We're back in first place by a half a game. Sorry, guys. Sweeping the Pittsburgh Pirates in a doubleheader does not mean that you're back. It's good. It's better than losing the doubleheader. But for the Mets to be in first place when Max Scherzer gets off the IL is going to require somebody. It may be Bassett, who was big yesterday pitching, but it's got to be someone, Bassett, Walker, Carrasco, someone's going to have to step up behind DeGrom, somebody. And then, of course, they're going to need to hit. But they, David, they scored 10 runs. It was the Pirates. Max Scherzer's on the IL. Okay.
Next, Yankees. I don't remember a day, and somebody can check this. Maybe Jason Stark will have someone check this. I'm trying to remember a day when the Mets and Yankees both swept a doubleheader on the same day. Nothing has not happened. I learned that in baseball years ago. Hey, I've never seen that. That must never have happened. Oh, it definitely happened. In 1969, the Mets and Yankees both swept a doubleheader on August 14th. Right? So it's certainly happened. I just don't remember it. Going into those games... It was so obvious to me that the Yankees were going to sweep because they were playing the Twinkies. There is something about the Twins that they just can't beat the Yankees. And it made me remember when we as a team could not beat the Philadelphia Phillies ever and what we did to try to get over that. And we would get our team psychologist involved. We would meet with the team. We would meet with individual players and we'd talk about forgetting about the past because it's a different set of players, right? The teams are different. The Yankees have won 15 out of the last 19 games against the Twins in the right, I assume that's regular season because in the playoffs, it's even worse. I think they've eliminated the Twins several times over the last five years. The Twins have been pretty successful franchise, but then they unfortunately meet the Yankees and then it's game over. And the players keep reading about the fact that they can't beat a team. And we would go to the players and say, those were different players. It's not you guys. There's no reason for you to read this or think about it. But then our team psychologist at that time was a guy named Jeff Fishbein, who's now the team psychologist for the White Sox. And he explained to me the mentality of losing. And it fascinated me. We try to get players to visualize winning, to visualize success. It's what I do when I'm about to do a show or a speech. I'm visualizing, I visualize everything I do, how it's gonna go, and then I do a debrief with my own brain after, whether it's a show or a hit or a speech or a segment or a conversation with someone. It's not unlike the rehearsal as a matter of fact, but it's different because it's just me. I'm not involving other people in it. It's going on all in my own head. So I play every part. Like when I do phone calls and nothing personal, I, I play every part in a conversation. And visualizing, even before marathons, I mean everything. So visualizing, Mount Kilimanjaro, I actually had a hard time visualizing what it would feel like at the top because I had no frame of reference and even on things you do for your first time, you can get a frame of reference through conversations with people. And I'd spoken to people who had summited Kilimanjaro, but I still couldn't imagine sort of what I would feel like. So when I had certain feelings at, the, at 19,000 feet, they were not rehearsed or practiced, and so they freaked me out. So when you tell a team to visualize success and visualize your process, there are players, and it's human nature, who visualize failure. And that is when you have to step in and try to help them understand how to change their way of looking at the world or their way of looking at the moment, at the game, at the team. And it's freaking hard, folks. It's so easy when you have been beaten down just to imagine you're going to get beaten down again, right? When you go in and talk to your boss and your boss says no to everything you want to do or any suggestion you have, you start saying to yourself, I'm not going to bother him. He's going to say no. Right? Just think about that. <sighs> Judge yesterday. Did, did you see Judge? He went 10. 
He had, yeah, two games. Of course he played both games. Why are you yelling this to me, Coca? He had a home run and had five walks and three strikeouts. Are you saying that's a good day, a bad day? Are you happy? Three intentional walks? Is that major? Are you upset that he got walked three times intentionally? If you are playing the Yankees and you don't walk Aaron Judge the way you used to walk Barry Bonds, then what are you doing? You go into a game against the Yankees and say, we will let anybody beat us, but not Aaron Judge. I don't think I'm going to walk him with the bases loaded, but anytime there's a base open anywhere, I'm going to put him on. It doesn't mean he's not going to get 62, and it doesn't mean the teams aren't going to let him get 62. Barry Bonds found a way to get 73 needle-enhanced. It was maybe pill-enhanced or cream-enhanced home runs, and he got walked intentionally all the time. But anytime you throw him a pitch anywhere, he hit it out of the ballpark. Judge still has a chance to get to 62. He's seven away, and it doesn't matter. He should be intentionally walked literally almost every time. Maybe you hit him leadoff again. I like that. Give him more at-bats. All right, we have a theme coming after the break, and the theme is going to be uh, a, mar- a, a marathon, Olympics, athletes, and unfortunately, tragedy. But hang in there. Seriously, hang in there. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate that. Make sure you rate, review, follow. Put a review in on Apple. That'd be good. We're trying to get more reviews because Coca likes telling me that we're not getting reviews fast enough. But then hit subscribe and do all the things you do and tell your friends about it. So one of you told me, and I appreciate it. By the way, Coke, I forgot to mention before the show started. Remember yesterday I reviewed Samaritan and I said one of you gave me that recommendation and that was horrific. Uh, You re-DM'd me and I can't remember your name. I apologize. You re-DM'd me and said, hey, sorry about that, but would you try this? And I'm hurt. I'm not ready to try another one of your recommendations again. It's going to take a minute. But I took someone else's recommendation, and I watched The Murders Before the Marathon, a three-part documentary on Hulu, maybe. And if you don't know what it's about, the title is not going to really help you, but here it goes. The Murders Before the Marathon are about three murders that happened in Waltham, Massachusetts on September 11th, 2011, the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. Three drug dealers, three Jewish drug dealers, or one Jewish drug dealer and two other men, or some combination of drug dealers, pot, got killed, murdered 
in what is an unsolved murder, and there was cash and drugs left on the body. There's a woman named Susan Zalkind, could be Susan Zalkind, but Zalkind, who is a writer who became obsessed with this story and has spent years, right? It's been years, six, seven, eight, nine years. It's been 11 years since those murders. And has been trying to figure out whether or not there's a connection between these murders in Waltham, Massachusetts and the Boston Marathon bombers. The Boston Marathon bombings happened in 2013. It's one of those moments that you remember where you were, maybe only if you're a runner, but as a runner who is close with the race director, you may have met him on the show, Dave McGilvery. And uh, it's a day you won't forget. The manhunt that happened after, they found one of the brothers, one of them got killed, one of them was found in a boat in a neighborhood hiding. He's now on death row, I believe, or either life in prison or death row. But is there a connection? And if so, should the FBI have seen this coming and could the Boston Marathon bombings have been avoided? So you watch this three-part miniseries, which I'm asking you to watch because you're gonna learn something that you didn't know. And, and frankly, Susan deserves your attention because of the work she's put in. It gets you thinking about all of the th tragedies that can be avoided, but for the lack of resources or the lack of proper attention paid and the concept of Monday morning quarterbacking. How does that all relate? Monday morning quarterbacking is the expression in football that we use in baseball as well. Backseat driver is the same concept. It's when you go look at something that happened and say, well, I would have done it differently and therefore gotten a different result. It's very easy to tell someone that. It is so frustrating to hear that from someone when they tell you after you do something, after an event happens because of what you did or didn't do, and then someone says, you are responsible for that event. I am not taking the side of the FBI here by any stretch, but I am discussing the concept of taking the side of the FBI. It is so hard when you are investigating a murder, when you are investigating a leak, when you are investigating a crime, when you are trying to figure out what's going on politically in different places and trying to count electoral votes and doing all the things you're doing and then planning on where to speak and where to visit and how many times to visit. And you're thinking about how to get something done in the most efficient way possible. You are doing it based on analytics, based on what you think is right, based on what you've been told by your advisors is right, based on the evidence, based on time, and then you get screwed. You get screwed by losing an election, you get screwed by having someone commit a crime who you didn't capture after committing an earlier crime who you were one second away from capturing. Like Jeffrey Dahmer was gonna be captured before he ate even more bodies and more people, Google it. But do we really hold people in the FBI or detectives responsible? There is a scenario under which the brother should have been a suspect in the Waltham shootings in 2011, should have been in custody and would not then have been able to plan or become a radical Islamist the documentary talks a lot about what happens to people when they become radical, why that becomes such an, an interesting focus 
when it is Muslims who are committing crimes versus white people versus black people. It's well worth your time. It's called the murders before the marathon. 9-11 is a day. I've, I've done shows about it. I've talked about it. We're coming up on 9-11. 9-11 is week one of the season. It's going to be 21 years since that day in 2001, which I still, I still speak to Lee Stevens every year on 9-11. We speak other times, but we never miss a 9-11. Everybody has a 9-11 story who is a New Yorker or not a New Yorker. Everyone in sports has a 9-11 story in baseball. Football is going to start their season on 9-11. They're going to have, there'll be some sort of mention of 9-11. But what's scary to me is it's becoming, for kids now, there are people who are going to start playing in the NBA, in baseball, in the NFL, who were born after 9-11. And to them, 9-11 might as well be the Persian Gulf War or Pearl Harbor or the War of 1812. It's, it's something that happened before they were alive. Like for me, I was born after the Korean War. I was born before the Vietnam War, during the Vietnam War. But I view the Vietnam War as that, you know, it's history. I don't think about it much. And that's the way 9-11's going. It's weird, isn't it, how time goes? So when you think about things that happened when you were young before you were born and how important they were at the time, you wonder to yourself, what can I do to keep learning about that story to keep that story alive, right? I spend days, hours, weeks, months, and years thinking about the Holocaust and what happens when the last Holocaust survivor dies, and then that's it. How do you keep people understanding what happened during World War II to six million Jews to get them to understand the significance of that, of that genocide, the fact that genocides, that was a genocide and genocides still continue. We are now 50 years past what happened in Munich at the Olympics. How many of you talk about it? How many of you think about it? How many of you know about it? How many of you say, oh, is that the movie by Spielberg? In 1972, the Olympics were held and a bunch of Palestinian terrorists took Israeli athletes and coaches hostage during the Olympics in the Olympic Village and they died. They got murdered. The Germans shockingly screwed it up. The Israelis were not negotiating with terrorists back then, and we just reviewed a movie, Seven Days at Entebbe, where they started the process of maybe negotiating with terrorists, but then didn't, and they attacked and successfully saved all the hostages. In 1972, that didn't happen, and the Olympics were going on. Can you imagine a world today where you've got Olympics in a place where there is death, destruction, and slavery? Oh, wait a minute. Can you imagine a World Cup played in a place where there is misogyny and death and criminality and imprisonment and lack of human rights? Can't be. No one's doing that. How do we not care that we are willing to engage with countries who believe that the right way is the imprisonment way or the genocide way or the misogynistic way 
or the murder way. Keep doing business with Saudi Arabia. Keep having World Cups in Qatar. I'm just as guilty. I've been to Munich, gave them tourist money, went to the concentration camp in Dachau. Couldn't believe what I was seeing. Could not believe what it was like to walk in to the chambers. 50 years ago, the American Olympian was a guy named Mark Spitz. He was a Jewish player, a Jewish swimmer. He won gold in that Olympics. How do the Olympics go on when there are hostages being held? Huh. How does that work exactly? Go read about it. There's documentaries to watch. There's movies to watch if you don't know about it. And then ask yourself, what's happened in 50 years? What have we cleansed? Makes me furious. If there was a hostage, if there were, excuse me, if there were a hostage situation in an Olympics today, are we going to go live to the gymnastics meet? Hmm. When you get sued, you have to decide when you're going to settle, when you're not going to settle, whether or not you're going to take it all the way to court. When you're doing the suing, right, that's a plaintiff or a claimant. It's always an interesting financial decision. What are the lawyer's costs versus what can you expect to recover? To me, lawsuits have always been mathematical equations because they've never been emotional. Emotional lawsuits are very hard to win. When you're trying to clear your name, as an example, what does that mean to clear your name? When someone says something about you that's not true, you know, Tom Cruise is gay. I'm suing you for saying that. Well, okay. Does that mean people aren't going to think that he's gay? Does it even matter? Does anyone care? So none of that is relevant. You sue to save your name because you want the record cleared, but that doesn't clear the record. Do you remember this off season? Remember Freddie Freeman left the Braves, went to the Dodgers, and someone said, a guy named Paul Gottlieb said, hey, Casey Close, not Paul Gottlieb, Doug Gottlieb. Who is Paul Gottlieb? Said, you know what? The Braves made an offer to Freddie Freeman through Casey Close, and Casey Close never even told Freddie Freeman about it. I did a show after that happened, and I said, that's not correct. There is no agent who does not communicate offers to players, and there's no team that would not go right to the player and say, by the way, this has been offered. You send the offer to the agent and the player, especially when it's your player, Freddie Freeman. So I knew that wasn't true. Everyone in the industry knew it wasn't true, but fans started believing it was true. So Casey Close sued Doug Gottlieb. How does that kind of lawsuit end? It's hard to prove, right, that Casey Close has damages. Does he show that, hey, I couldn't get the following client because they thought I don't communicate offers to them? 
or did I have clients who left me and I would have made the following commission? When you're suing, you've got to show damage. What's your damage, Casey? Oh, because Jeter got fired? What, seriously, what's your damage? Yesterday, Casey Close said, from the onset, we were clear that Mr. Gottlieb's tweet was wholly inaccurate and that we would seek legal remedies to set the record straight. He has retracted his statement in its entirety and acknowledged that he got the story wrong. We consider this matter closed. Lawsuit over. It's brilliant. All Gottlieb had to do was say, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. He released an entire statement yesterday. On June 29th, I commented on alleged circumstances surrounding Freddie Freeman's negotiations with the Atlanta Braves and his relationship with his former agent, Casey Close. While I always strive to report accurate information, I prematurely reported on these events and simply got it wrong. The horror. Is he the only one of us who ever does something prematurely? <laughs> Talking about reporting comments, reporting trades, reporting signings. Anyway, let me continue. Upon further vetting of my sources, comma, a review of the lawsuit, comma, and a direct conversation with Casey himself, comma, I have learned that the conduct I alleged did not occur. <laughs> Let me just go through those separately so I can make you laugh because I'm going to laugh. He further vetted his sources. Hello. Hey, um, hey, Johnny. Just out of curiosity, can you just answer a quick question for me, please? Did you not tell me that Casey Close did not give the offer to Freddie? Uh, I didn't say that. Well, did you not say that Casey Close and Freddie did not sign with the Braves? Oh, I definitely said that. Or is vetting a source saying, do you have any information about what Casey Close and Freddie Freeman did? Well, I'm the guy, I'm the equipment manager. Oh, so you may not know? G-M-A-B, vetting a source. It's ridiculous. What else did he have to do? Ah, reviewed the lawsuit. <laughs> do you know what party reviewed most when you get sued? It's like the, the spark notes, the monarch notes, what you do. When you get a lawsuit, you go right to the damages part. What, what's at stake here? How much do you want? What are you claiming the damages are? We are suing you for $1 billion. ruh -roh. Casey Close in his lawsuit was suing Doug Gottlieb for whatever he was suing him for. Who cares? It makes no difference to me. But to Doug Gottlieb, he went through the lawsuit, went to the damages part and said, all right, I better vet my source again. <laughs> That's pretty good. And then he had a call with Casey. It goes something like this. Uh, hey, um, Doug, what the hell are you doing? Of course I tell my clients about offers. Doug says, man, I've got a source in this case. You did not. You were not happy that the Braves wouldn't give the extra year, and you were wanting to take your client to a different team. So it's in your best interest. You get him to a different team. Why give him a chance to accept the worst offer from the Braves? That is absolutely incorrect, Doug. Yeah, but Casey, I'm, I'm going with it. I've got a source. Do you want to go on record? I'm happy to put you in the article to say that you disagree wholeheartedly, but I'm still going with the source. If you go with that source, I'm going to be angry. How angry? I may sue you. Really? You're going to file? I'm totally going to file. All right, I'm going with the story. No one ever files.
And then Casey filed. And then they settled. Do you know how much money Doug Gottlieb gave Casey Close? They didn't disclose it, but I've got a prediction for you. Zero. Not a nickel. All he had to do was this statement. I appreciate the damage that misinformation like this can cause and have been in touch with Casey Close to apologize directly. I have also, here it goes, deleted my original tweet. <laughs> can you imagine that? That you get to go into a court of law and is one of the mitigating strategies to your behavior, you get to say, hey, I deleted my tweet. <sighs> That's it for the Casey Close situation. I can't do any more. Okay, we have a correction. I had two corrections from yesterday. Um, I had that the Chiefs were playing tonight, which they're not. And we were talking about the Cardinals, and I thought that the Cardinals had won a World Series since Albert Pujols left them, and I was wrong. Thank you for contacting me. The last time the Cardinals won a World Series was 11, and that was, coincidentally, Pujols' last year. So they let Pujols go the year after winning the World Series, similarly to the Braves letting Freeman go the year after winning the World Series. So I had that wrong. Thank you. All right, I want to end the show with a little thing about something that's going on today and it's sort of a big deal to a lot of people and no deal to some people so it equals an, an above average deal and that's the situation with the monarchy in the uk not having to do with anything other than there was an announcement that the queen is old and dying and her health is in such a state that i would say they are not telling you the truth, but my guess is she is close to the end, maybe even in hospice. They are saying today she is under medical supervision. And medical supervision in my vernacular means hospice. And if that is the case, that means that she is going to pass away soon. And she's been the queen for 70 years. It's been one of the great reigns of all time. I'm not sure exactly what they do other than things that are ceremonial. But all of that said, it's a pretty big deal. And what everyone's going to look for, and I've been waiting for for 30 years, is is Charles going to become the king or will he abdicate and give it right to William? Charles has wanted nothing but to be the king. Charles thought he'd be the king like as a moderately middle-aged guy. He had no idea that his mother would live to 120. How old is the queen, Coca? She's got to be in her 90s, right? I mean, I would assume 96 years old. She took over. Can you imagine being the queen from when you're 26 to when you're 96? That's something. So I've got a prediction. And this is not, I don't mean this to be like in a weird way. But I think the queen is going to pass soon. And I think Charles is going to become king. Now, he may not be king for long. Maybe he thinks he's going to live to 96, but I think he's going to do it. He's 73, so he wants the decade or two as king. And what I do know is that his second wife is going to be the queen or the princess or something. It's going to be interesting. That's funny. He is six years coca. That's a good stat. I'm going to put that in the show right before we close. Prince Charles is six years younger than Joe Biden, which means he's also younger than Donald Trump. All right, 
I wish the queen a speedy recovery, but do you really wish a speedy recovery to someone who's 96 when you know it's quite unlikely? I really don't think it's going to happen. It is football season, folks. Stay tuned tomorrow. We're going to review what happened night one. We're going to take a look at the Rams. We're going to see what the Bills did, whether they lived up to the hype, whether they covered the two-and-a-half-point spread. We're going to see what happens in the world of baseball and anything else that goes on. And guess what I'm doing right now? Actually, no, I'm going to do Levitar. But after that, I'm going to take the blazer. I'm going to take the shirt and leave it here for breaking news because it's just business. This is nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com